navy blue Victoria. As he uses his feet and goes again through mid-wicket. That's an even better shot from the Victorian captain. Swept away very nicely by Nicole Bottom for four. Oh, he's re-given! That is 50. The man from Northcote. Welcome to the latest edition of the Vic State Cricket Podcast. I'm Adam White and we have a very, very special guest with us today. It's our last podcast before the, the Christmas break, before the BBL break. So when we think BBL, we think of probably only one man. It's Glenn Maxwell and he's with us. I don't, I'm not sure whether it's a good thing or a bad thing you're with us. But you should be out playing on the Junction Oval at the moment with your Victorian teammates. Yeah, it would have been nice to be out there, obviously, but... Um... Yeah, sometimes you uh, have these little setbacks um, during your career. and um, But, yeah, so hopefully I can get through this little setback and get out the other end. Well, it's a chance that we can now sit down and sort of reflect on on your career to this point, particularly from a, a navy blue and white perspective. But I want to ask you straight off the top, what got you into cricket? Uh, that's a good question. Um, I'm very, very lucky um, in my family, very sporting family, um, my I've got an older brother who's nine years older, older sister who's 11 years older. Um, so it was very much a accident, mistake, whatever you or afterthought, whatever whatever people want to describe it as. But um, to have um, sort of older siblings um, being able to help me in the backyard, throw balls, um, obviously compete against, I suppose, growing up, um, really helped. My, my dad and my brother were heavily involved at the local cricket club, which was only 200 metres across the road um, at South Belgrave and um, spent a lot of time over there in the in the nets, growing up uh, with school friends, um, training, practicing, and um, watching my brother play either junior or senior cricket, and um, yeah, it was it was a it was a, now that I sort of look back on it, it was quite an obvious transition to sort of obviously play cricket and um, be heavily involved. But I was certainly blessed with, I suppose, the access to facilities that I had, having the cricket nets like so close, um, having a lot of friends that lived. Um, really close to me that we were able to go up there, train and practice and, and have fun with the game. And I probably fell in love with it as soon as I, I could pick up a cricket bat. There's, there's photos of me as a two- and three-year-old padded up and um, hitting balls in the backyard. And, um, yeah, I suppose as, as early as I can remember, I always loved the game. Was it always cricket? Were there other sports that you played as well? Oh, there was, there was a heap of other sports. Like I think it was I was a highly coordinated child mm. who could – um, as long as there was a, a bat and ball involved, I was I was pretty handy at it, and um, I, I love my footy. I suppose growing up as a junior, I won a couple of BNFs in junior footy, and 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 probably had decisions to make. I think as as a lot of um, talented young um, kids do, they they can sort of go off in any direction they choose if they can put their hundred percent effort into it. Um, they can probably make that make that a winner as long as they've got the determination to do whatever they like. And I, I probably made the decision um, a lot earlier than a lot of kids. I, I think I stopped playing footy at under 14 level, um, which wasn't an easy decision. I, I absolutely love my footy, so I didn't play under 16s. Um, I put all my devotion into into cricket. I trained, I practised. I, um, I, I was five, six days a week as a probably from – 10 years on on right. um, all the way through junior cricket, I was fully focused. I'd be getting different uh, groups of friends over to, to the nets to bowl at me, bowl at them, um, practice nonstop. And um, I, I was – it was probably just – I was just infatuated. I, I just – I knew exactly what I wanted to do from a really young age and just devoted all my time to it and um, probably even went to high school. I'd take a tennis ball to school and, like, throw it around and I was always – active I was always doing things and um, even in the off season I was doing sports that related to, to cricket I'd play tennis once I, I stopped playing footy um, to make sure my agility was good and my hand-eye co- coordination was good played baseball to, to help my throwing and all that sort of thing so I was always doing things to make sure my cricket was was getting helped in some way and um, and yeah it wasn't probably till I got to about 18 I decided to go back and play footy I felt like cricket was starting to drop off and all the time that I'd put into the sport I didn't feel like I was getting the rewards that I thought I was going to see at that age um, so I went back and played um, I played two years uh, two games in under 18s as a bottom age player um, got injured um, so missed the rest of the season missed the finals and then the following year I played as a top age player I played the whole whole season Won the BNF, we lost the semi-final, and I just had a 
had a feeling I, I love this game. I want to I want to sort of give it another crack and um, went over to England the following year um, to play club cricket just in in Norfolk, um, just outside of Norwich, and sort of went through some sort of uh, troughs, not in form, but just care factor for cricket. Like I sort of. I was with my brother. It was the first time I'd been away from home uh, for any period of time and I, I sort of found myself hating the game a little bit. Like I, I put all my life, all my time and all my effort into it and I just wasn't seeing the rewards that I thought I was going to see out of all this effort that I put into this sport. And um, my brother actually pulled me up on it. Um, I sort of broke down after a day and... Uh, after we played during the day, and I, I, I did well. I scored a hundred in, in a club game, and I just I'd had enough. Like I was I was emotional. I was upset. I didn't want to play anymore. And he, he sort of just pulled me aside and said, "We've got another month here. Um, don't think about the results. Think about the ten guys that you're having fun with. You've made some really good friends here. Enjoy the game, um, and, and just have fun. Like we're we're having a trip of a lifetime. Just have fun. Don't don't worry about the cricket. Just enjoy it. We've we're lucky that we get to play on the on the on the weekend, working during the week. Just just focus on having fun, like outside of that. And once I stopped thinking about results, stopped thinking about what people were thinking back home of whatever results were getting sent back, um, of how I was doing. I, I was able to sort of refocus again and realign sort of the values of actually why I play cricket in the first place is to have fun and enjoy it and, and enjoy that camaraderie of the the people that you play with and. Um, I ended up breaking all the league records. I scored, I think, about, I think it was about 750 runs in the last five games. Right. And they're all one-day games as well. So yeah. I just – I went on a, a bit of a tear there and um, and none of the none of the games mattered. It, it wasn't like it was oh, – I felt really good after a day's play. It was, it was, I was just numb at the, at the whole time and came back and had a really good year of Premier Cricket and, and got contracted the following year. So that was the end of footy and um, I never looked back. And from there on it was um, – I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it was smooth sailing, but from there on, at least it sort of started my career. Gee, there's so many questions that come from that answer uh, <laughs> that I'd love to ask you. I, just that, the whole thing about when you're growing up, who your heroes were, because you play such a dynamic game that, that no one really in Australian cricket has ever played. But I'm, I'm fascinated to know where you got your inspiration from to be the cricketer you were before you were a professional cricketer. Yeah, I, I think probably early days, like even though I was very young, I think guys like Dean Jones – the way he played one-day cricket was what I yep. watched one-day cricket for. Even seeing some of these classic matches on TV, I, I love watching them back. And what he did back then was extraordinary. Uh, the way he ran between wickets, the way he fielded, his energy at the crease, it was almost different to everyone else. Like I know Viv had the swagger and all that sort of thing, but Dino had an energy at the crease. He was willing to take the game on. He was always doing something just a bit different, just a bit more high energy, a bit more um, aggressive, aggressive. Like um, he took the game on and it was, it was awesome to watch. And um, then it sort of probably goes into watching the way Brad Hodge played and then Mike Hussey, Ricky Ponting, these guys that were just entertaining, great to watch. Um, I remember, I remember, I think the Tsunami game, uh, yep. I think it was the rest of the world versus India or um, – Australia versus the rest of the world or something. Yeah. It was something like that. But I remember Ricky Ponting and Brian Lara batting together um, out in the middle and um, and I just remember Ponting smacking them everywhere, batting in a hat, hitting Chaminda Vass all over the place and um, Asia versus the rest of the world, that's what it was. Um, and I just remember watching it going, this is awesome. Like this is so good to watch. And and, and those, those are my memories of like – inspiration and watching guys taking the game on, being exciting and that made me want to go to the next game and then the next mm -hmm. game and um, I think that's probably why I play the way I, I do. I, I think right from the start when I played for Victoria, I always wanted to play a brand of cricket that I'd want to come and watch, not a brand of cricket that would keep me safe for the next game. It would it'd be a brand of cricket that I'd want to come and watch. I want to inspire um, the next generation hopefully coming through and Sometimes at the start of my career, it could have been a detriment of how I started my career because um, I was always trying to be entertained. I was always trying to take the game on and um, probably with not as much, um, I suppose, care factor to 
I wouldn't say care factor, probably not as much thought into maybe what the game situation need, but as what I thought yeah. would have been entertaining and what, what I thought would I, I would have wanted to wanted to see. And um, and for the first few years it, it worked. Like I played really well. I, um, I, I did well for Victoria and then um, it probably accelerated my career a little bit further because I didn't know what I was doing. I was just batting and taking the game on. But once people start to work out, it sort of it can come full circle again. You have to you obviously have to adapt and change and – we see that a lot with, I suppose, the young guys coming through. So growing up, you're playing sort of through your teenage years. Were you that dynamic batsman then, inventive? I know you, you had to go your fast bowler, I think, initially. And, you know, you, so you, you tried leggies, you, you did everything. But just that mindset thing that you're sort of sharing with us now, is that something that was it, – it's just in you? It's your per, almost your personality or um, – Not really. I think under 12s, 14s – 16s, I, I was I, – I had a brilliant technique. I wasn't very big. Um, I was able to score all around the ground. Um, I was I, I was just able to move the ball around. I was able to score quite simply. Like yep. I felt like I was able to adapt to what was in front of me. I always had good footwork. Um, and I think as I got older and I probably didn't – feel out as much as I thought I was going to. I was just a tall, skinny little little kid and um, I shot up that way instead of sort of um, shoulders-wise and um, I actually had to find a new way to score once the I suppose I got older and older and I think all the junior stuff I was able to score pretty comfortably. As soon as someone bowled something loose, I was, I was in a great position to hit it and then uh, once I got to senior cricket, it wasn't that easy. I felt like I had to find new ways to mm-hmm. clear the infield, clear the rope, find a find – a, different way to get a boundary and that's where the inventive stuff came out I knew I had all the shots but because I was dominating junior cricket I never really needed to play them I was just waiting for a bad ball and I'd put it away and um, once I got to senior cricket where they didn't bowl as many bad balls I was I'd had to be a little bit more inventive about the way I scored runs because I I wanted to keep the same strike rate I always kept throughout my junior career and never really got bogged down never really had an issue with scoring and um yeah, I suppose it was only once I sort of came to the Vic squad and your net sessions were full on, your centre wicket practices were full on. Um, I started to try and work out different ways of scoring, um, trying to uppercut quicks like in the nets and um, getting inside the line and pulling them over fine leg and probably not not as easy as it sounds. Like I think what was it? Harwood, Nanus, um, Lewis, uh, Mackay. Right. Denton, Wright, um, Pattinson, Pattinson, both Pattinsons. They were not. Siddle. They were Siddle. They were nightmare net sessions. I just remember Hastings. Like they, they were just. They were relentless. They just didn't stop. They kept coming at you. Steve Gilmore was there as well. It just never stopped. Like they were always coming at you. There was always. Um, it didn't matter what group you were batting in. There was always. A quick at the end of the net, trying to knock your head off, and um, and you're ramping them and trying to flick them and do all these sorts of I, things. I was, you're only I, making them angry there. Clint. I I, <laughs> I made so many so many enemies in the nets, um, and I I remember feeling I feel like they hate me. I feel like they hate me, and and I listened to a couple of other podcasts with a couple of players, and they talk about the hatred in, in amongst the group, and then once you get into the ground, it's a united stand against the opposition, and that that's exactly what it was. It was. It was full on. Like trainings were just hard work, and like you'd you'd have more anxiety about trainings than games because it's like, how am I going to survive this? Like I know what the, what's going to come at me today. At least in a game, you knew you had those ten guys in the change room supporting you, and I felt like that was more powerful. Um, I think as people said, if you could get through our net sessions, you could get through anything. And I suppose having that as a young player, where I was exposed to that as a 20, 21 year old um, before I'd really made my mark on any sort of senior cricket was pretty powerful. Yeah, it's a common theme. If you can get through net sessions, you'll be able to do it out in the middle. So well, many well, the, it's the amazing now because I, I don't face any bowls in the nets anymore. <laughs> like I've at least got to the age where I actually I know exactly what I need to get ready for games. And but I do remember at that stage in my career, there wasn't really um, people throwing balls. There wasn't really um, that other side of the game where you had 
a bunch of net bowlers come in. It was no, the quicks are on now. Mm-hmm. They have to bowl it. Yeah, the spinners are over here, and you just rotate through, and that's mm-hmm. the only way you got your batting workload. So you actually had to go in there. Otherwise, you just didn't bat. So mm-hmm. um, it was the only way you could get better, and um, it can spit some players out. It can and it can make p- other people better, and you've just got to choose which which group you're going to go in. And um, luckily enough, I was in the in the positive group. So you talked about South South Belgrave growing up, Premier Cricket. Future Doncaster, Richmond, the the two clubs that you're you're involved in predominantly. That moment that you got to play for Victoria, because it happened, it all happened pretty quickly for you. Can you remember the phone call or the the discussion about Glenn? You're going to play for Victoria? I certainly do. Um, to to give you a bit of uh, context, I was for probably the start of the season. So um, I got the phone call. Just to give you a bit of content, I got the phone call on New Year's Eve. Um, so for the first half of the season, I was sort of around the Vic squad. I was a rookie contracted player. I was around. I'd get called in to be subfielder a lot of the time. So I'd, I'd be going on trips just for the sole reason Damien Wright's going to potentially go off the field with maybe a hamstring injury after he bowls his 10 overs and you're going to field the last 10, 15 overs of a one-day game. And that was that was my role at the start of the season and, and I absolutely loved it. Because I was involved, I felt like I was getting a part of the team, and and that was my introduction to state cricket. And I was able to watch some really good players play. I was able to be around our current state side and watch the way they go about. That pretty much all of them had played for Australia, um, all been in squads. So the experience in the change room was unmatched around the country. So to to be in that um, change room at that time was really special. And um, New Year's Eve, I was actually down. Um, in Sorrento with a bunch of my friends and I got a, a phone call from a number I didn't have on my phone and when I picked it up it was it wasn't the most comfortable of the lows that I've said and I sort of hello and it was um, John McQuirta who was the chairman of selectors and I ran out the back because we're out in the backyard music blaring having a bit of fun and I ran out the back where it was a bit quiet and I was on the phone he goes oh you're selected to play against New South Wales in a T20 um, at the MCG on the 2nd of Jan. We've got training tomorrow afternoon. I was like, oh, that's that's great news, John. Cheers. Thank you very much. And sort of came back and told everyone at the party. We all went nuts. And then the next morning I had to drive uh, back from Sorrento to South Belgrave where I was living with my parents, pick up my cricket gear, my training gear and head into the MCG for training. I think actually my training might have been 11 a.m. So it was a pretty quick turnaround from where I was in the afternoon. I sobered up very quickly after that and um, I, I went straight to training, um, trained my backside off, same thing, got in there and tried to play all the shots. And um, that night um, we played against New South Wales um, and Usman Khawaja and uh, David Warner opened the batting for New South Wales. It was It was an amazing feeling. I think there was... I think it was 30,000 people at the MCG for a domestic game. So that was my first game of cricket and it was it was amazing. We had Dwayne Bravo on our team, Matt Pryor. We had an awesome side um, and I was just slipped in there. I think I was like number seven or number eight, um, didn't bowl um, and took a couple of catches. And um, what was what was funny about that was I had, because I was down in Sorrento, I think a couple of days before I got um, a haircut, but I had like these leopard spots sort of put in my hair, like these blonde patches um, just with your mates, you do some silly things. And um, and then I was fielded in front of Bay 13, um, took a catch and my hat fell off and I copped it for the rest <laughs> of the game. at these leopard spots and I'm like quickly rushing back for my hat, trying to cover it up. Pretty embarrassing. But, yeah, that was that was the start of it. And, um, and it was an amazing experience just to be a part of that group. The skill on that side um, was amazing. Then I think we made the final that season. We won it and... Um, but yeah, to be even in the squad at that stage was was pretty special. See, you told me before about going, you're playing all your shots in the nets. Now, me as a, a club cricketer, you know, you hit the ball out of the net, you're in trouble. You know, if you're playing silly shots, you're in trouble, or inventive shots, I'm probably showing my age a little bit. But for you, was it ever rein it in, or was it always no? That's how you play, or this guy's got something that no one else has got. I'm really interested in those sort of formative years how you were treated, how you were coached. Well, it's it's quite interesting because we obviously had Greg Shippard as our coach at that stage, but I, I was very lucky that I had a couple of the senior players who were 
excited by what I provided for the side and what I could potentially provide down the um, down the way. I think um, Brad Hodge, Andrew McDonald, David Hussey, Bobby Quiney, those guys were, were really on side of um, the way I played and they were really excited by what I did. Um, they were some of my biggest supporters. So every time someone would maybe be coming down hard on me if I played a bad shot in the nets, they'd be like, no, nah, let him go. Like this is – we could this could be really good for us like we need someone who can actually play like this and um finchie was sort of coming through at that time as well he played a few games for victoria and and they wanted guys to sort of show their personality in the way they played and um and and they were probably really good at sort of keeping shippy at bay because shippy was very technical and wanted guys to sort of keep the ball on the ground elbow up and all that sort of thing but i think the way that the senior players were able to i suppose help keep a few of the other guys sort of almost off my back a little bit and sort of allow me to express myself, allow me to sort of um, almost test the boundaries of, of how how I could um, either get better, improve as a player. And and, and I, I was also a sponge around those guys. I, I used to hang around them and not say a word and just listen to their conversations about cricket. And, and there was some heavy debates. There was some intense chats about the game where – both of them had good good arguments, but just like hearing them talk about the game was a different level that I'd never heard before in my life. And um, to sort of be around that experience, around that um, those that sort of caliber of players as a young player was so valuable, and and certainly helped me in my early years. It helped me um, probably ease ease into state cricket, having that experience either side of me, Cam White. Dave Hussey, Andrew McDonald, basically all, always mm. batting around me. Wadey and um, Bobby as well. They were they were always they were always in the order around me. So I always had that experience. Um, Chris Rogers as well. So th- those guys to be in the side with them, it just makes you a foot taller. Like straight away, you're a foot taller. And it didn't matter what I did early days because I had that experience around me. So I was able just to sort of play my game without too much care. Like oh, if I don't make runs, we're going to lose, which is probably the way I played most of my junior cricket where it was sort of a lot relied on what I did. But when I came to the state side, it was I was able just to play and enjoy it and soak up the experience that was around me and, and ease my way into state cricket. So I'm, I'm very grateful of the time I came to the, into the, the side and, um, and now I look back and I'm grateful for how tough it was and how that probably shaped me going forward. You reeled off about twenty names just in this conversation. Well, it's Batters a, and bowlers that it's, were it's amazing a, players. It's amazing. Like I think the first game I played, I was the only person that hadn't played for Australia in the in the whole lineup, and that, that's that's pretty powerful. I think when you come into a side and you've got a debutant who's got international experience yeah. all around him, and it it makes it easier for you to just go out there and enjoy yourself. Yeah. That, the game against Tassie down at Belrave Oval, if, if I remember it correctly, because I remember watching it at the time, it was a rain-reduced game or something that was kind of under lights. It was pretty cold and bleak, but you scored your 50 off. I think it was 19 balls, which is a record at the time. Was that? Still a record. Still a record? Still a record. Well, there you go. <laughs> um, <laughs> is that the moment that it clicked for you that, yep, I can do this at this level or had it already happened and it was this it was almost affirmation? Uh, well, there was actually a little bit of a process before that. Um, Kenny Davis was the team psych at that time and I, I was sort of out of favour at the start of that summer. Um, I'd probably made a few mistakes around pre-season. I'd been late a few times. My professionalism probably wasn't quite there. And um, I sat down with Kenny and sort of mapped out what I needed to do to actually get back in the um, get back in the state side. And I wasn't in the in the one-day squad at all. I uh, wasn't in the Shield squad at all, and um, or, or in the T20 side. So I actually had a lot of work to do. So once I got, um, I worked worked my way through the second eleven stuff. Played really well. I think it was the Futures League at that at that stage. Played really well. Um, got back in um, to the state side, and we'd set goals basically every game. So I sat down with Kenny. Okay, this time we've just got to make sure we're having a positive impact on the game. Just do whatever you can. Do everything right on the field. Get the bowlers had as much as you can. Literally just doing basics like basic teamwork, which I think as a as a kid you you can sort of gloss over that because you're so focused on oh, I'm a batter, or, I'm a bowler, whatever it is, and that's all you're sort of focused about. So it was more about being the best possible team man I could be as well as doing my job. I think I, I focused so heavily on that. So the first game, did everything right, tried to field, ran length of the ground, I was fit, so I was able to do all that stuff. And he goes, great, great start. Some really positive feedback. The boy said you're on fire, did some good stuff. Great. 
all right, next game we're going to have we're going to finish off the innings. We're going to make sure that. So you, you probably gave it away a little bit with the bat. Let's finish off the innings, and then I think the next game uh, was at Adelaide Oval, and I think I got about thirty, mid thirties, not out um, off about fifteen to twenty balls around that, and I, I finished the innings off really well, and we. I think we won that game, which was nice. He's like, pat me on the back, great stuff. Okay, next step, we're going to make a 50 and like we're going to start to work. And the next game was the fastest 50. So it wasn't quite how we thought it was going to go. So it was more of a – we had we'd set these goals for a couple of games, but it just so happened it was happening game to game to game. It wasn't exactly planned like that, but the way it actually – we looked back and – Every plan we set, we knocked off the next game. So it was amazing that we sort of did that. And then the next goal was to make the shield side and I played the next game. And then the next goal was to make 100 and I made it the next game. So the, the basically the five or six plans, we should have set these plans in a lot earlier. <laughs> could, have, could have accelerated my career a bit. But it, it was great to sort of set these goals and sort of give myself something to aim for at the start of my career and sort of give myself some um, focus points and – to be able to sort of come back to Kenny Davis and sort of sit down and, and go, we achieved that. That was awesome. Like, it's great. And it was actually a positive affirmation for me to – it's working. Okay, what I'm doing, I'm trying to be the best team I can, trying to sort of do everything possible that can win games for Victoria and and it was working. And um, But, yeah, that, that game in Tassie, it was, it, it was a strange night. It was a really strange night because I, I didn't go in, in there with the thought that I could – clear the boundary, I was still wasn't exactly high on confidence in state cricket. I was still trying to find my feet and I, I just got some balls that I could score off. There was some familiarity that I'd played against James Fortner a fair bit. He was bowling early on in my, my innings and I was able to get him for 20-odd off and over early on in my innings and then that just sort of kept running on. I was able to keep going from there and, um, yeah, I, I think I was quite lucky with the start of my innings. I was able to face him and sort of knowing that I faced him a bunch of times, junior cricket and um, Futures League, whatever it is, but I had that bit of familiarity. And then I was down to facing Hilfenhaus, Brendan Drew and these guys that I'd seen and watched a fair bit of. And, um, but, yeah, it was sort of the perfect storm. And then I got out with the – I think it was I think it was nine, 18 or 19 to get. And then Peter Siddle got us home. I remember reverse lapping um, Ben Hilfenhaus for four. And none of us had even seen that before. It, like, I don't think Sid, Sid's had ever practiced it. Never played in the nets. And there's like a little low full toss and he just reverse powered it for four. And it's like he knew exactly where the ball was going to go. It was like he was on a bowling machine. It was it was amazing. And got us home on the last ball and um, that got us into the final, which we eventually won. And it was almost like that was the – that put you on the map. Um, obviously, it's a record. But anyone that didn't know you kind of knew from that game onwards. Do you look back on it now and – I'm not sure how to quite put this, but I'm not saying you were pigeonholed as a white ball player from that moment on, but it was almost like that was what you were known for. Your shield record is right up there. It's it's outstanding. You don't get to play much shield cricket because of your white ball exploits. Do you ever think back of what it, what it, that it could have been different because of just circumstances and through your abilities to play the game so differently that your career's gone a certain way? <sighs> It's a long question. Yeah. yeah. Yes and no. There's – I had my opportunities as well. Like I feel like when I had runs of shield cricket where I was playing for a period of time, I was able to find consistency. I was able to to dominate periods of um, periods of time during seasons where I was going really well. I was striking the ball well. Um, I, was, I was scoring runs pretty consistently. And even um, in the first couple of years I started, I – it was pretty rare that I was averaging under 45 for most of the seasons and I was scoring at a good clip. I was uh, making influential runs. It wasn't like junk time runs. I was making influential runs that had a decisive result uh, bearing on the game. Yep. So um, I felt like I was doing a lot of the right things in red ball cricket when I was given the opportunity and then when I got my opportunity in test cricket, it was just too early. Like I, got, I think I got my test debut in... 2012, and I'd only debuted the year before in 2011. Um, sorry, 2013, I debuted in India. I debuted in Shield Crit in 2011, and there wasn't a lot of time to sort of eke out a Shield career or eke out a, a consistent way of playing uh, long format cricket. And certainly grateful for the opportunity. And 
at that time, I probably was the best spin bowling all rounder available, but I just wasn't probably good enough already at that stage. And I think I had two tests there and I was back in the wilderness after that. And um, there was a fair bit of chopping and changing around that um, six and seven spot, I think, at that stage. Um, players coming in and out. Um, and then change of coach, I think, around the same side. I think Mickey Arthur uh, went out around the middle of 2013 and, and Buff came in. And um, yeah, that was just. It was, it was it was a time where I was like, okay, I, I didn't realise I was that close to the test side and um, probably woke me up a little bit and went off and put, put a bit more pressure on my shield stuff and um, went away and then got back in in 2014, only played one game and then I was back in the wilderness for three more years and then when I finally got that opportunity, I was actually ready um, and my game was at a point where I knew exactly what I needed to do, came off a massive season of scoring runs for Victoria and um, and the results that I got in the test team weren't a surprise to me. I knew I was actually finally ready where at the start I just – just mm. a young, naive clown who was, <laughs> who was mm. posing as a test cricketer. But, um, but it, it just happened really fast, I think. When I when I debuted for Australia as a, one, as a white ball player, I'd only pl- – I'd played less than a dozen games for Victoria. Like I'd – I still had no idea what I was doing. I was only just playing little roles, bits and pieces for the state side and I was just fortunate enough to be right place, right time, I suppose. And um, that's sort of where my white ball career started and that's sort of how you sort of start to get pigeonholed is that the role that you play in that side as well. And um, and that that stems what was 2012, I made my debut in white ball cricket and you play a T20 World Cup in almost your first tour, it's... You sort of get pigeonholed that way yeah. pretty 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 quickly, and um, it took a while for me to sort of make sure I could adapt between all three formats. Is it one of the reasons why? I mean, everyone wants to play Test cricket for Australia, but that it burns. It, it's still you've still got that burning you for Test cricket because you want that opportunity to play when you feel you're ready and have a crack at it, as opposed to when the opportunity was presented. Yeah, I, I think that was probably why I took. Um, 2017 really hard. Like I, I found that was when I got dropped the last time. I hadn't really done it much wrong. Like I'd played the subcontinent tours. I'd played in India, played in Bangladesh where it was hot. Conditions were almost impossible. And I felt like I got through it and did really well. Hit the winning runs. Was there at the end with Petey, um in the last test. And we were coming into the home summer, and I was like, I'm primed here. And then they had like a line in the sand moment where they said, oh, every, every spot's up for grabs all of a sudden. I was like, why now? Like where, where's this come from? Why now when I'm finally back in? And um, sure enough, uh, they changed the side. I didn't do much wrong in the lead up. Uh, I think that was like three or four shield games. And I got, I think I got 98 against WA and I got a pretty average LBW decision against um, Jai Richardson. Um and I, got, I asked them, I said, oh, why, why why, didn't I get another opportunity? They said, oh, because you didn't get 100. And I was like, oh, God. And that that burned me. And I was like, that's okay. So two runs would have made a difference, which that I never really got that. Like I felt like I was batting well enough. I think if they had have seen the way I was going about my game in Australia where I'd scored all my shield runs, I'd done all the hard work, I think the results would have been different and um, – I think the next week I got caught up as back up for the first Ashes test at the Gabba uh, for Sean Marsh's back. He got through and then I went straight to North Sydney Oval and got that 278 and same thing. There was an injury the next game and then Mitch Marsh came in, um, got 100 at the Wacker and that was ba- – and then I just went, well, that's that's probably the end. Mitch Marsh has solidified that. Um, then Sandpaper Gate happens in February or – sorry, March, February or March. Yeah, it was early that year. And then myself and I think it was Joe Burns got flown over as cover and I, was, I ended up being 12th man in that game and I was like, this is unbelievable, I'm so close. Um, and then I was like, okay, there's three spots now up for grabs. you just come off 700-odd runs in the shield. You've played really well, averaging over 50, doing well. This is now, this is now my time. And then we had the Dubai tour. Um, I think it was in September, August, September. And I was like, that's it. I'm going to be on that tour. I'm going to 
that's going to be the start of my test career or the restart again. So it's only a year late, year later from when I've last played and and all the conversations I had with everyone, the selectors, the coach and staff, was all positive. Yep, this is a yep, big year for you. Yep, spots up for grabs, all this sort of stuff. Yep, sounds good. Didn't get selected on the A tour. Didn't get allowed to play Shield. Uh, sorry, it was county cricket for Surrey. I think I had an That's offer. And I was like, okay. And I, I called him again. I said, oh, is this, is this all going to plan? They're like, yeah, yeah, it's a good sign. We know what you can do in the subcontinent. And then I wasn't in the in the test squad for UAE. And I was like, what is going on? Like I was just sort of almost got overlooked and people just leapfrogged me from from nowhere. And um, it's, it's worked out okay. A couple of those guys are now ingrained in the test side. But that also could have been, if, if it just had gone a different way, if, Maybe if we had something a little bit more sort of similar in place to what it was the year before, I would have been okay and I would have been on that on that tour and who knows, my test career could have gone a completely different way. I could have been almost eased out of the white ball team and, and I could have been solidified as a red ball player because I was, I was playing some really good red ball cricket at that stage and I think once I missed that, my focus just changed completely. Um, I, I tried the following year, I missed the IPL, went to England and played red ball cricket to give it one more crack and... Um, and that's when I went down that dark hole and ended up uh, taking a, a couple of months or a couple of months off for depression. And looking back on it, it's not surprising. Like there was a lot of heartache. There was a lot of ups and downs through that period where it just it felt like everything just didn't quite work mm. at the right time when I thought it was going to work. Like I feel like I was on a high and I just got caught crashing down. And then you work your way up again. You brought crashing down and. It was it was bloody hard to take. I, I felt like I was doing a lot of right things, and um, yeah, just just never quite worked. And then you sort of get pigeonholed as a white ball player, and you almost have to sort of try and live up to it. And 2019, when I took that break, that was my last my last red ball game. So I haven't played one since then. And um, just before I had this injury, I was I, I was more excited for these two red ball games um, at the MCG and the Junction than I've been in a bloody long time. And um, yeah, it's just a shame timing, I suppose. It just hasn't been right the whole way through the back end of my career. It's almost emblematic of your career. It is. Like, it, it's amazing the way that sort of things have just sort of – just little things have just affected me at the wrong time. And this is probably just another example of it. But at the same point, you're almost seen as a, a generational player for the way you play. And you've had – you know, we're talking about things that have happened 10, 12 years ago and you're still – arguably at the top of your game in white ball cricket all those years later. So it's probably a different career to what you may have imagined or maybe what you want it to be, but it's still an incredibly successful career. Yeah, and I... I or do you I, judge Or do you judge it as a successful career? It's, it's a good question because there, there's so many things that I'm, I'm not flat about that I'm, I'm probably... I'm disappointed that I probably didn't do as well as I would have liked at the top of the game in test cricket. I, I'm disappointed that I couldn't quite make that mine, that spot at number five or six. I think I was pigeonholed really early days that that could be my spot, that that, that aggressive player at number, number five or six, take the game on, win the game in a session, that sort of type of player, give us 10 overs a day with a vol spin and be electric in the field. To be able to do that in the test side, I, I was when I was able to do that well um, in 2017. I, I loved it. I was I felt at home. I felt comfortable. I felt really good about what I was able to provide for the side. And um, I think I think that will be um, one thing that I'm. It'll always irk me a little bit. I reckon. No, I can just, understand. Just not getting that full crack at it that I would have liked. That maybe some of the others. Potentially did. It's a what if. Sort it, of it, feeling, is, isn't it is. It is a bit of a what unfinished if. Unfinished business. Yeah. yeah, and I think that's why I was so excited potentially about these Shield games and and the opportunity to show my wares in this format and um, even the two net sessions I had with Ben Rora um, a couple of weeks ago, just doing red ball cricket and talking about technique stuff was was exciting and entertaining and relaxing and and all the stuff that I'd been doing throughout my whole career. It was almost just coming back to the same thing. Like let's just work on good technique, the flow of the bat, talking different angles and, and it's the stuff that I'd been doing as a 12-year-old as a with dad's video camera at the nets, like setting it up and going back and watching it and sort of going through and 
judging your technique against Adam Gilchrist, Ponting, Hussey, Hodge, like the guys that I used to love watching, like trying to judge it and sort of see what they did off their pads or through cover and, and seeing how that relates to what I'm doing and contact points and all that sort of thing. I, I went so in-depth as a, as a young kid and to come back to that at Victoria and have that sort of re sort of almost refocus moment was was really exciting. And, um, but, yeah, there's always going to be that little bit of unfinished business. Now I'm going to ask these two this question and there's there's kind of two answers to it. And the, the question is what is it like to be Glenn Maxwell? Now I'm going to ask you from a cricket point of view, walking out to bat, knowing that you have every shot in the book, what's that like? What's that feeling like going out there knowing that you've got that? Um, when you're in form... When Glenn Maxwell's in form, it's fun. Like it's it's really good. It's it's fun. It's relaxing. It's knowing that the opposition's nervous. That's that's good. When you're out of form, it's horrific. My God, it's bad. <laughs> it's it's knowing that the expectations of what people expect or have seen you do before, um, what they expect of you to do in that game, and you in the back of your mind thinking that you don't have it in you at the moment. That's it's a scary feeling just going, I feel like I'm going to let down all these people with my inability to be able to perform today. So it can't, it goes both ways. There's so much pressure, I think, for players that can play a lot of shots. I look at probably these days, if Fraser McGurk, he's got more talent than anyone I've seen in a while. He's got so much skill. He's got so many shots and so much raw ability. But it's also hard having that much talent and raw ability to be able to put it into – numbers and put it into substance and be able to show um, a quality cricketer or show that you're a match winner or show that you can you can be relied on as well to be able to have that all those shots and all that ability but also be reliable is it's it's a it's a balancing act <laughs> it really is and um, it's been something that I've had to work on really hard over the years to yep be that dynamic player in the Australian side but also be reliable and consistent and those two things don't really go hand in hand a lot of the time and for people to expect you to score at a strike rate of 140 all the time but be consistent that's you're asking one thing of one player and asking the top order to score hundreds off 120 balls that's they're chalk and cheese so to be able to go out there and take risks straight away take the opposition on it's not it's not a simple thing and it's not, not a simple thing to be consistent at it, but it's something I've had to try and work at really hard over the last few years. You sort of half answered the, the, the other part of the question of being Glenn Maxwell and that is the polarising way you play attracts all sorts of attention um, from the media, from the fans, about the way you play. How do you cope with that? Because if you take the good Glenn Maxwell, you've got to take the bad Glenn Maxwell because that's the way you play, but that's... That's hard, I think, because that's not the way cricket's kind of been. Well, kind of, you kind of defy the way cricket's been. Does Ma- that make sense? Yeah, I think Michael Divinio put it perfectly, I think. he um, We'd be sitting in the – the whole team would be sort of sitting there watching me bat and I'd reverse sweep one for four or six and they'd be all clapping, cheering, and he goes, all right, that's fine, but don't, don't berate him for the bad ones. So if you're going to clap that, that's fine, but don't berate him for the bad ones. It's still a premeditated shot. Like it's if he makes a mistake with it, why are you berating him? We want him to be doing that stuff, but if you're berating him, it's putting like doubts in his head. It's making him um, think that he's not doing the right thing. He's he's doing what the team needs him to do: is up the run rate, provide a spark, give us something that a surge of mm. adrenaline that the the total needs. So um, I, I was was really glad of the backing and the support I had around. Um, different teams. I think David Hussey, Stephen Fleming at the Stars early days. Um, David Hussey, I suppose, when he was captain as well. Uh, Warney early days at the Stars. Um, Simon Helmet, I think, when he was coach of the um, Ryobi Cup team at the, at the time. Um, those sorts of guys around me were able to sort of let me play my brand. Um, obviously, try and help me become consistent but not sort of take away too much of the flair and too much of the um, aggressive style. It was about trying to sort of find ways to think your way through scenarios where it was the right option I was taking. I had maybe five or six options for the same ball but to pick the right one is a, is a 
hard skill sometimes when you've got a lot of options for the same ball. So to be able to sort of practice and train that, um, I owe a lot to those guys that actually took the patience or had the patience with me to stick through me through times where I didn't probably score the runs I would have liked. 2019 World Cup, I, I dropped off pretty quickly where um, I, I had a few times where I had some low scores but I sort of got stuck with. I got um, some good support around me to, to go, no, 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 that's the way we want you to play. Um, we'll keep backing you and um, yeah, really thankful to a lot of those people. Do you read it? Do you listen to it? Do you whether it's TV or whether it's radio, newspapers, you know, social media, do you – or do you – can you block it out or it just water off a duck's back? Uh, you go, I think you go through stages. I think early days I read all of it. Like I, I soaked it all in because I wanted to know what was being said to sort of have a really good idea of how I'm going to answer questions or whatever. If I do get asked, I didn't want to sort of be in the dark about anything. I wanted to sort of know what was going on and – um, probably, I'm not sure if that was to my detriment at the, at the time, but I think as I got older, I just, I stopped caring. I stopped caring about what other people thought. And if people asked me, I'd tell them blatantly, honestly, how I felt or what I, I was, um, what I was thinking. And I've got a great relationship with a lot of the journos these days, because when I see them, I sit down and have a conversation with them off the record and they know exactly what I'm thinking. So instead of them writing an article, not knowing what's going on, they know exactly what's going through my head. I, I talk to them. So to be able to have that relationship with them, then it all of a sudden becomes a bit of a two-way understanding where when I get out, caught at short third man, playing a reverse sweep, they go, no, 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 he's trying to get it over him. Like he, he sees that as his gap. So we can sort, we can understand why he's doing it. Not just going, oh, he's played a, a, a stupid shot and there's no reason for him to do it. They actually understand the method behind mm-hmm. what I'm trying to do and the method of the bowler I'm trying to do it against, whatever it is, and I can explain that to them to give them a better idea and all of a sudden it becomes your perception becomes a little bit better. Other people start to understand because whatever they read, they think that's a reality. They think oh, whatever that journal says, has to, that has to be the right thing, which is generally very heavily skewed towards how the journalist either feels about that player or what he sees in his own personal views. So uh, to be able to sort of have those honest conversations off the field with a lot of people, I feel like, it's probably helped people understand me a little bit better. I've been pretty honest about the way I try and go about things. I see a field, I try and hit the ball where the fielder isn't. I try and hit the fit ball over the infielders and I try and hit boundaries. So um, if the game's not moving forward, it's I'm not doing my job. And um, if I get out trying to move the game forward, I'm okay with that. I think and you talked about it before with the Dean Jones factor with you. Dean Jones had the ability to get people emotional about cricket. And I think you're very much the same is that you get people – healing things you get people emotional you entertain people so there with that comes emotion comes disappointment comes exhilaration it's sort of it's a difficult one it's hard to win because you know we want you to entertain us we don't want that to stop but that's expectation too isn't it it's a it's a difficult one yeah there is there's there is a lot of expectation when every time you go out you know exactly how the crowd is sort of here he comes like i wonder what's going to happen today and if you get out, there's just ultimate. You can you can feel the disappointment around you. You can feel like the everyone's shoulders slump, and it's like oh, he's he's ruined out. He's ruined out night. Like I'm sorry, I'm trying, but it's it's there's a lot of pressure, I suppose, when you go into. So even I look at the Big Bash. So the Big Bash I've been a part of since day one. So it's now come out to BBL twelve. It's disappointing that I'm not going to be there for the start of it. But I look over the last few years and there's been a hell of a lot of pressure on me as a captain, me as a player in that side. Um, you on the mic? On the mic. Um, there's a lot of moving pieces of the puzzle, like non-stop. You're doing the, the press after the game. You're doing press after you've lost two finals in a row. You finish in the bottom three the following year. You have COVID hit games. Like there's so much going on. And, and out of all of it, you've still got to try and hold your nerve, be entertaining, be what everyone comes to the game to sort of, watch and provide to their expectations it's it's a lot it's a lot to be relied upon on just one player and as I said as I've got older I've become better at not worrying about it too much not being able to sort of let it affect what I do on the field it's been able to go you know what all my focus is what the team needs right now is me to play in this certain way and I think that's helped being a captain as a leader 
um, to be able to go out there and go, no, our team needs this Glenn Maxwell today. Not so much this this cowboy needs six off every ball. Need a composing that we need to sort of get through, rebuild, whatever, and then build from there, build a partnership with that bloke. So to be able to sort of change which sort of hat you put on, I suppose, as you're going out there has been a, a transition, I think, from getting the opportunity to lead, especially with Stephen Fleming as coach originally and then obviously having David Hussey as coach recently. You talked about circumstances that have kind of counted against you and I agree with you. That's been the case through the time in red ball cricket. But if there was ever a version of the game that suits you, it's T20 cricket. And the IPL just came at the absolute right time. The BBL, um, it's just been perfect for you. I'm just interested in your views on the game. Is it, is it your favourite version of the game? Or you talked about test cricket as well. What, and, and even just to educate people that are listening to this that love their cricket about, without going into too much detail, how different the, the games are. But it just it's, it feels it's tailor-made for you, not just with your batting but with your bowling and your fielding as well. Yeah. I, I think back to some of our, our shield wins for Victoria and – Working hard for a period of time over four days and getting a result. There's not there's not many things that are m- more rewarding mm. than working together with ten, 10 of your good mates that you've grown up playing with. Um, you've worked so hard against an opposition and to get a result on day four or whatever it is and um, there's just not, not much as special as that. Mm. T20 cricket's fun, it's entertaining, it's good fun to play, it's easy on your body. Well, it's tough with all the running and all that sort of stuff, but it's 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 a quick format of the game. It's it's great fun, um, but I think the rewards emotionally and physically that you get out of longer form cricket, they're unmatched. And, I, and to be involved, I think my last test was my only test win. That's that's something that I'm never going to forget. To be able to wear the baggy green in stinking hot Chittagong um, with ten of the a, 10 of the other best cricketers in the in the country to win a test match um, was an amazing feeling even to even to draw one in India was was a pretty cool feeling <laughs> um, even the feelings that we had around that was was amazing and the work that goes into playing that longer format is I found the grind around training for longer format cricket more fun um, than some of the white ball games that I've played so even more recently been in the test squad for Sri Lanka. The couple of days training before the first test was some of the most fun I've ever had. Getting into the nets, the nets are all scuffed up, balls are popping and bouncing <laughs> over our heads, the spinners are just ragging them square, they're rolling on the grounds. That was so much fun. But the grind to try and work out a, a technique and work out your tactics if you were potentially going to play was so exciting, so much fun and exhilarating and it actually sort of that was what sort of lied the spark a little bit for me to go this is where I want to be this is exactly where I wanted to be and um it was just it was just great fun and that's that's that was cricket to me growing up that was that was basically going back to early years 10 to 13 where I was just grinding away working on my technique and trying to find a way to be the best and that's what you do when you're in a test squad you're you're trying to find a way. Manus and Steve Smith do it really well. They, they every time they go to train, they're they're finding finding a way to be the best and to score mountains of runs and make it impossible for the opposition to get them out and come up with a batting strategy, ta- tactical strategy to make sure that they're successful and they probably do it better than anyone else. Well, three more questions for you. The BBL it's about to start. Um, you're not going to be there for the start, but maybe towards the end. Where do you see the future or how do you see the next three to five years with the BBL? Someone that's been intrinsically linked to it. Um, it gets a bad rap at times, um, but where do you see it over, sort of over the next three to five years? Um, look, I think I, I think this year we needed that, that draft to happen um, to get that interest, I suppose, early days before the World Cup started with the – a bit of interest around the BBL, at least, at least start it early, have a bit of a build-up, talk about the overseas players that we're getting in. I'm glad we've gone to, um, I suppose, trying a different way to go about it. Instead of just doing it, I suppose, offline and um, you end up with a, 
a second or third tier overseas player coming over and playing yeah. three or four games here and there are no one coming in three or four games. You've got set dates on it. So it's actually keeps you interested, keeps you involved and I suppose it gets people excited. Like to have I know for the stars, I know I'm super excited to sort of see Trent Bolt open the ball in the MCG. I, I think that's gonna be exciting for everyone and and that should be exciting for the competition. Um, we probably didn't get the big names that we would have potentially liked from what we saw the first list. It's nice to see I think Faf Duke of C just signed at the Scorchers, which is great for the competition. To have people of his ilk um, involved in the competition is exciting and that's what we needed to do. I think the next step is making sure that our local players are taken care of because we are going to see these leagues take over at some stage. We are going to see the IPL teams who have got their um, hands in different competitions around the world, we are going to see them take over. It, is, it could end up being a bit like live golf. It, I could I can see it sort of heading that way, and if the BBL is not careful, it could get it could get overrun by the amount of cricket that's going on around the world, and um, it's it's going to be hard to compete with because the IPL teams are just so powerful and so um, entrenched, I suppose, in different comps around the world that they they can have that power, and um, there's not really much we can do to match yeah. it. Do you feel torn by that because you are so big with the IPL and have been for a long time and you, you kind of get it because you know what it's all about. You live it and then you've got the homegrown BBL. Um, how, how do you find that balance? I, I, saw, I sort that's, of, that's a supplementary question, by I, the way. I, I sort of feel a bit like Rory McIlroy because I've been a part of the BBL for so long. It's been a massive part of my career. It's been a massive part of me growing as a player, I sort of owe it to it to make sure that I'm at the forefront trying to stick by it, trying to stick up for it, trying to almost be the be the face of it or be not not be the face, but be the be the person to sort of speak out, to find ways to make sure it survives, make sure it validate it. Yeah, basically make sure that it's it's relevant. Mm. And that that's all we want. We want the BBL to be relevant. And we look back to those early days when we had 80,000 the MCG for the derby and packed out stadiums all around Australia. It, it was it was un, unreal. And COVID hit at the worst possible time. Like we had had the expansion of the competition where we went to 10 games, then we went to 14 games, but they just happened at the wrong time. Like I know hindsight's, hindsight's a wonderful thing, but COVID hit at the wrong time. All of a sudden you can't get people into the grounds where you've got 14 games to, I suppose, sit at home and watch and... I suppose the relevance sort of went out of the competition. The players, you could all see that they were flat. They were almost done by the end of the tournament. They didn't really want to play anymore because they're stuck in a hotel the whole time. They can't even go outside and get a coffee. And then when COVID sort of infiltrated last year, the same thing happened again. So players, teams are playing um, second 11 sides in our major domestic comp and it just it sort of lost its um, luster. Yeah, it, it lost its power that it had at the start and – um, we tried to, I suppose, delay a few games, but it, it just it just didn't work last year and um, well the last two years it just it just hasn't hadn't worked and the timing of expanding to that fourteen games was just horrific. It just it hurt. Um, I suppose the way the competition was going hurt crowd numbers, hurt interests, um, and I'm hoping now that we've got open stadiums this year we might see that peaked interest again. We might see a little little upside and who knows, it, it could turn around and um, we could all be pleasantly surprised, but it's got to be able to be shortened at some stage to either bring the games a little bit closer, play a few more double and triple headers where um, we're able to get the tournament done quicker in a shorter space of time to, let's be honest, get back to playing state cricket, get our players back playing Red Bull, putting their name up for test, test games like... How are we going to pick, pick our test side out of players playing big bash and club cricket this year? It's, I think it's probably the only comp in the world that we're, we've got our major Aussie summer going and the only thing we've got in the background is big bash. It's, it's, not, it's not great when you have, have a test team going. If there's a couple of injuries, there's not many guys coming off first-class form. Mm. And, it's, and it's really hard to sort of just come in and play against South Africa. We've got Norkia, Rabada and Gidi and you've been playing – Big Bash and trying to smack Shadab Khan for six at, at Hobart, like it's yeah. it's 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 going to be it's going to be interesting um, to sort of see um, 
the sustainability, I think, of our, our Bibesh running over the top over the test summer and see if that affects the mm. back end of our test summer at all at mm. any stage. All right, two more. So I asked you about what the Big Bash might look like. What does the next two or three years look like for you? It's a it's a very good question. Um, it's uh, it's a hard one because originally what I'd planned, I suppose before this a couple of weeks ago, um, I had a, a really busy time coming up. Um, BBL into I was hoping that the tests in India, um, real focal point on that. Um, into I think there was ODIs against India and into the IPL and then I was going to have a couple months breaks break during the Ashes. I already already got the tap on the shoulder from George Bailey. He goes, oh, you won't be won't be needed for the Ashes. And I was like, very good move, George. <laughs> Haven't played much red ball cricket in England for a while, so no, nah, completely understand that. And um, but to sort, of, I was looking ahead to June, July to sort of have my break and have my time off, where my focus probably now has changed a bit to be able to have. I'm probably going to be home all summer and um, this is now my time off. It's a time to, I suppose, get myself genuinely match fit for the rest of my career. It's actually quite exciting. Something that I'm really looking forward to is I can now set myself up to be injury-free for the rest of my career, be fittest I've ever been, have basically a pre-season before the season. Um, So if I can get back, hopefully by the end of the Big Bash, around that time, uh, to show I'm playing, I can be fit and playing good cricket again. Um, th- there's a real chance that I can get back over to England this year, um, or sorry, next year, and um, maybe play a bit of red ball cricket, maybe try and um, have another another tilt at it. And I'm actually really excited by the next couple of years, and I'm not putting anything in stone. I'm not putting retirement dates on anything because I actually think this has probably elongated my career a little bit. It's probably given me a, a bit of time off when my body probably needed it. Um, there's never a good time to do an injury, but after what we've just gone through over the last couple of years, COVID, back-to-back tournaments, I've probably had three months of quarantines in, in amongst that. Um, it was it was hard work, and to get a forced break um, at a time where I didn't think I was going to have one is probably worked out okay. So nothing ruled in or out. I mean, that's that's an exciting sort of mental position to be in. That who knows? Yeah, I still feel like that. Well, well that's the thing. I, I just. I could have looked at this anyway. I could have said, oh, well, this could be the end or whatever. But I've tried to look at it in the most positive way I possibly could and went, you know what, this is a break that you've been forced to have, but it's a it's a positive time to have a break. You can now set yourself up for the rest of your career and you can enjoy it. You can be injury-free. You don't have to worry about like little niggles or little soreness that I've had for the last 12 months. Um, trying to get through every game, trying to get through every series and being tired for every series as well. I can, I can make sure that I can eradicate most of that and start myself up on a plan for the next the, the back end of my career. And it's actually really exciting. And it's, it's nice that I, I don't have to sort of pencil anything or cross anything out and say, nah, that's, that's off the table. I'm not playing that format anymore. I'm, I'm in a really good place where I feel like I can um, – finish off my career as well as I've as well as I ever played so it's exciting it's been a real treat for Victorian cricket fans because you are a Victorian and we're proud to have you as a Victorian so my last question is and I ask all our guests this what does Victorian cricket mean to you um Victorian cricket means to me it, it was my it was my grounding. I think it was my – it was basically the foundations of my career. I think I look at Victorian cricket from playing the the Vic under-15s, missing out on the Vic under-17s both years, playing top-age Vic under-19s. They were all – I remember the Vic, Cricket Victoria pathway, like the back of my hand. I remember seeing every step. I remember as a, as a kid looking at it and trying to tick them off as I, as I went through and, and always seeing – Cricket Victoria State team at the top of that that form and just going, that's where I want to be. And to be able to achieve that and to be able to have that grounding, as I said, toughest net sessions you'll ever have, ex- international experience for our years. I was so lucky to play for Cricket Victoria when I did 
I was so lucky to have the grounding and the people around me when I did the coaching staff, the, pl- the senior players, even a couple of the younger players that were coming through. They were all going through the same tough initiation as I was. Um, I, I was so fortunate enough, fortunate to have that grounding for when I actually did play Australian cricket. So I felt like I was – I wasn't ready for Australian cricket, but because I'd played for Victoria, I probably was. Um, for what I went through in net sessions, when I got to Australian net sessions, they were nothing compared to the, the Victorian stuff. So it was – I was very fortunate enough to have the grounding that I did at this state and um, – yeah, I'll always be grateful for the opportunities I got. Well, there's so much more I could ask you. We could be here all day and all night. But I just wanted to say thank you because this is uh, Cricket Victoria's podcast. So for Victorian cricket fans to listen to what you've just poured out your honest emotions and, and told all those stories, I think a lot of people will get a lot out of it. So on behalf of all cricket fans and Victorian cricket fans particularly, thank you. No worries, Wally. Cheers. Glenn Maxwell joining us on the Vic Cricket Podcast. That is uh, it for us for this episode, um, we'll catch you again soon.